Today I'm introducing to you a, a new series, it'll be a three, maybe four part. Uh, the title of it is The Inescapable Jesus. What we want to do is to look at, as we as Christ followers, and the imprint that Christ makes on us at the very core of our life itself and how we're called to respond to him. And I think the sermon today will kind of illustrate some of the ways that happens. First, I want you to begin thinking about uh, the earliest experience you have in life when you had to choose sides. Think on a moment. I can remember as a parent when each of our children were playing the game of t-ball. That was most children's and ours' first chance to be on a team, okay? And that's a hoot of a game, isn't it? Uh, first of all, you got kids out there that don't know what's going on, which is, which is so obvious. They're pulling up plants. They're sitting on the, this is my children, sitting on the glove in the outfield. Uh, the only time they're really in the game is when they have the bat in their hand and the ball is on the tee. That's when they really want to be at. And when they hit the ball, they're still not sure which base to run to or to run at all. They're not real sure. So they don't know it. They're learning it. Uh, they have never been on a side before, so they're not really sure what a team is about. And then winning, losing, who cares anyway? I mean, that's what t-ball is, right? That's the starting point, and they're trying to teach them a little bit about the sport, a little about what it means to be on a team, and, of course, that competitive edge of maybe you really do want to win whatever winning means. They're not so sure. How do we learn the difference between us and them. That's really the story of the morning. And how Jesus responds to that, both in his own life, his culture, for us, and how we'd respond as he does. The fundamental words in life, two of them, are us and them. They're filled full of power, but they shape so much of the uh, sense of belonging or ambitions we have in life, how we use those two words. There was an experiment done. It was a a summer camp, uh, they had boys divided into two teams to start the camp that summer. Initially, as they did it, they decided they would also then begin to divide them up on teams as a separate small group. They're already on the big team, and they're going to have a test. Uh, some boys are given in, they're mixed with others in the small group. Then they're asked to, to distribute money between members of their group. So here they are. They've just learned they're on one side. Now they're in a small group where there's people on both sides with them, and they're supposed to give money. The question in their mind is, will these kids make any distinction between people who are on their team and those who are on the other side? And yes, the very first thing they learn before these kids ever met each other, ever learned anything about each other, ever had experiences together, they begin to make a distinction between who is on my side and who is on the other side. Jesus challenges us to the concept of what it means to be chosen and how we learn to respond to them. You look in the New Testament, one of those stories that gets our heart is when Jesus is talking to a woman who has brought her daughter. She's possessed by an evil spirit. She is not uh, Jewish, and she asked that Jesus would heal, and she, he responds to her with these words. He says, is it appropriate to give the food to the children to the dogs? Now, that sounds mean, doesn't it? And you and I would think, golly, Jesus did that. But I want you to hear it another way. Because even as he did that, the next thing Jesus did 
is because of this mother's faith, he healed her. See, in front of him, not only this lady and he, but the people who are watching notice, Jesus is dealing with someone on the other side. She's not one of us. She's not of the promised people. She's not one of the people God is moving through in his uh, words to Abraham. She is on the other side. And yet, even as Jesus notes that she's different, he helps her. He goes over to where she is, and he provides and cares for her. Harsh words, but the end, he says, I'm going to help her. There is a change in the way we see us and them, even inside the church at times. I mean, you look at the way uh, the beginning issue in the church when it was new was that there were now some Jewish Christians, kind of the starting core, and they began to develop a larger core of Gentile Christians. And the issue as the church gathered is, are we the same or not? Should we be different from each other? Are we one? And it took a while to resolve that. There were those who already knew the faith that you had to become like us to be one of us. And they finally said alone that no, in being inside the Christian faith, there can be both. There can be us and there can be them and we're still one church, even inside the church. And, of course, you look around us today, and we've been a long time now, for centuries, dividing the church in all kinds of different methods. Uh, Sometimes it's theological. Sometimes it's about our uh, color of skin or our culture. Uh, Different things tend to group us. And we may begin to think, okay, we're this church. We're United Methodists. Then there's the other side. There's the Baptist church next door to us. There's the holiness church that direction only half a block away. And we can easily begin to see, okay, there's us and there's them. Very easy to notice. How can we function well doing the things God desires of us if we have that strong sense of them and haven't learned to cross that line somehow? Jesus, the story I'm telling you, uh, is one challenging for his day. I haven't said it well for you yet. In it, Jesus has finished, as at my first reading, teaching a large uh, crowd gathered on the Sea of Galilee. They're the people who are on his side, the Jewish people. He has so many that he is in a boat off the shore. They're crowding him down so he can look up on the shoreline and teach. What a wonderful day that must have been. I, I think I see the weather being nice. I see it being a spring day. I see the the grass flourishing and the crowd is just enjoying the whole day of Jesus teaching and healing. It's a wonderful experience. At the end of that, however, Jesus drops a bombshell on the disciples. When they're through with that and it's time to break, he says these words. He said, let us go over to the other side. Now, that doesn't make much sense to us until we know what they're thinking. For us, you would think that's only about oh, five to seven miles across the other side. You can see it. It's, it's over there. What's the, the big deal to go over to the other side until you know what it means to them? Because that other side is the region called the Decapolis. Uh, the Ten Cities is what it's named. When the people of Israel entered into that promised land at the Exodus, where Moses departs and Joshua brings them in. The seven nations, tribes that lived there, fled that area and now live in that region. 
They're the enemies, you may think of it. The people who are totally unlike them with practices unlike their own. Along with that, there is a, uh, a legion of Roman soldiers, 6,000 strong, who are in that area. Now, why, they may ask, would we want to go to the other side? They're not like us. There's nothing about them that's like us. Why would we go there? But Jesus says, let us go to the other side. And so they do. And when they arrive at the other side, remember this side, there's a huge crowd. They really hate to see Jesus go. They have responded well to him. When they get to the other shore, there's one man, who I wouldn't call that a greeting, by the way, who comes out of the tombs. He is a guy possessed by demons. He, he can't live socially with others. He's outcast from his city. He's a strong guy, uncontrollable. And Jesus casts out the demons and heals him. Now, in the process of that, if I read the whole text, there is a large group of swine there. Jesus has sent the evil spirits into them, and the swine have run off into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. And this would be the community uh, herd or gathering, or what do you, not a flock, what do you call hogs? Whatever, that's them. And he ran them into the sea, and they died, and these people of the city hear about the commotion, they come out, and there are their hogs floating in the sea, and they're going, this is not good. The man sitting there in his right mind, no one notices. They don't really care about, they see their swine afloating, and it's not good. And their words to Jesus were, go away. We want you to leave us. You're not one of us. Go back to your side. And he does. Now, the next text that we read is his second visit. And you got to know there's a lot of difference on the second visit. Chapter 6, chapter 7 and 8. He enters the same region. This time, he is received by a large crowd... He performs healings, and they begin to tell widely what he has done, even though Jesus is saying to them, now keep it to yourself, no such luck. He's over here on our side. He is doing great miracles to our people, and we're not going to keep it to ourselves. And they begin to tell everyone, and the crowd grows. It may have been one of the best gatherings ever outside of the people of Israel. A wonderful day. You think it's the best it can possibly be. That's the day Jesus had. Now, there's two other parts of the story. Uh, one is that when Jesus is over on his side, the Jewish side of the lake, he also feeds the 5,000. We know that story. It's a wonder where they take the five loaves and the two fish and they feed that 5,000 along with men and women, with women and children. And they gather up how many baskets of leftovers when they're through? Twelve, thank you, good answer. Twelve baskets, that's kind of representative, you'd say, of all the tribes of Israel. It's a wonderful day. Great story. When he gets over to this side, the other side, he also performs a feeding miracle. He feeds 4,000 this time, men and women and children. When he gets through, they gather up all the leftovers. You know how many baskets full are left this time? Seven representing the seven nations that are driven out. Jesus is saying, in his miracles, okay, yes, I'm on that side, but I'm also on your side. 
The church divides people often, and I think the, the greatest division that hurts the most is we divide our world into two groups of people. We say there's the church-going people, and there's the folks who ain't going to church. And Jesus knows both those crowds. And we can begin to think, you know, the churchgoers are the ones that I'm out for, that I, I know God can use, and, and they're like me, they're like us, they're the kind of people that God can, can handle. But Jesus doesn't teach us that way. He teaches us that there's more to be done, that there's a way that he is going to reach other people, and we're to pay attention to that. He keeps bringing us over to the other side. It was a great time to be at the Decapolis there with people who didn't know him very well. And he fed them. And they realized that he is not on our side, but he cares about people on our side. However, we divide the crowds, the denominations, the churchgoers and the ain't churchgoers. We find that Jesus cares for all of them. He is on both sides. One of the characters in the Old Testament, New Testament represents that best to me is Saul. We knew him as Saul of Tarsus at the start. He is a rabid, fervent Jew. Uh, he is persecuting the church. Is anybody in the church's mind they might write off as ain't going to church? He would have been one of them, but not so with Jesus. He knows this Saul of Tarsus better than we would ever know. In that story, of course, he, he blinds him and leads him into town and, and he finally gives his sight back and this Paul, Saul becomes the Paul great missionary of the church because Jesus would not simply stay on his side. He went over to the other side. He goes to see those who need to know him. The people that he wants, not only in the present to be his, but also the future. The church has to learn to go over to the other side. We can't learn to do that. There will not be a church of tomorrow. It's not just the inner faith, inner uh, multiplying of ourselves, but we reach out to the other side that God has for us to reach. With that, God can change the kingdom. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. How do, I tend to think, how does Jesus divide people? And if he were to use the labels, he might say this, there, there are perfect people in the world and there's the not perfect people. There are the holy people and there are the sinful people. And you realize that, then you put those together and we're honest to ourselves. We realize that every single one of us are on the wrong side. But the good news is Jesus is determined to make that his side. He lives with the sinners. Wherever we are, wherever we've been, inside the church door or outside the church door, he still loves the world that much. Us and them. How do we learn to play together? When I was uh, 10, we moved to Mars Island Road in Macon, and there was a little road named Alberta Place, cul-de-sac, one block long next to it. I say that because that was my neighborhood. And there were enough boys and girls close to my age that every day in the summer, Morning and afternoon, often, we would get together on a field out the end of the road and play uh, baseball. Our version of it, it was the sandlot ball. You know, no coaches out there and no, one, no umpires. You had to be honest about you was out or not, that kind of stuff. 
Every time we get out there, we'd pick who was going to be the two captains, and then they'd each pick their side. Yeah, I've been the last one many a time. I, I've been to, you can take Martin. I, I've been there before. And we'd play, and you know, we'd end that game and come back in the afternoon, redivide up again, play again. We never did pick and keep up who won. It didn't make any difference because there's going to be another team a few hours later anyway. What difference did that make? We didn't learn competition. We learned to play the game, and we enjoyed it. Every once in a while, someone would, not in our normal group, would come and join us. Some of them would play Little League ball. I remember that, and they'd come in there. They were ready to play, and they were going to win, and we're going, what? And we're just playing the game, man. We just enjoy They're our friends on the other side. What do you mean the other side? They're the other team, but you know, this afternoon, I'm going to be on that team anyway, so it ain't going to make any difference. Whose side are we on? Is really the question of the morning. Jesus is saying to us, I belong to both sides. I'm a part of both of them. You can divide it any way you want. You can think it that way, but I'm there. The struggle in the church is we're always coming back to the us and them. Us and them. And Jesus is calling us to go over to the other side. To where they are. The needs they have. To care about them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great theologian in the last century, and he wrote this. He said, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of enemies. At the end of all, his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this, he came to the world to bring peace to the enemies of God. So Christians, too, belong not to a secluded life, but in the thickness of where foes are found. This is our place to go and work. Us and them. Isn't that real familiar? I had a t-shirt with me I could have used with a children's sermon that has Georgia on the front of it. And to tell you the truth, I've never been there as a student. And I, I wouldn't be a Georgia fan if it wasn't for the fact I've paid enough to send my children there. That's really what makes me one of their fans. And frankly, I don't much care if they win or lose ball games. And that may sound heretical to some of you, but I really don't care. I send them there to get an education. That's really what I do, believe it or not. It's us and them. Or can we go over to where they are? Jesus found a way. How we shape us and them of life has everything to do with how well we're going to follow him. Because Jesus calls us. To go to the other side. To care about people who are not like us or one of us. Whatever division someone else may bring, we're called to be his. I want you to think today, your response. Think about someone that has been on the outside for you for a while. I don't know what the division may be. Just think differently, act differently, look differently, believe differently. And I want you to find a way to win them to Christ. Because no matter what side they're on, he loves them too, as he loves us. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you call us to be your followers. And to follow you is not an easy path. It will not lead down only the familiar trails we would choose on our own. But often the ones that are difficult. Into the place where we might call someone even an enemy. But in that place, you call us to be forgiving and loving even as you are. But you have won us over. 
Help us to be those who can do the same, winning others to you. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.